Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. My name is Judd Littleton, and I'm a partner in the litigation group and co-head of the firm's Supreme Court and Appellate Practice. I'm here with Julia Malkina, also a partner in our litigation group and in the Supreme Court and Appellate Practice. Today, we are continuing our series of podcast supplements to SNC's Supreme Court Business Review, our summary of the decisions from this past term that we think are most relevant to businesses. You can find the Supreme Court Business Review, as well as all of our podcast episodes once they are released, on SNC's website at www.silcrom.com. In this episode, we are joined by two of our partners, Tony Lewis and Camille Shields, to discuss two of the Supreme Court decisions from the last term in the technology space. As way of background, Tony served for more than 10 years in the United States Attorney's Office for the Central District of California where he was deputy chief of the terrorism and expert crime section and prosecuted sophisticated cyber crimes, financial frauds, and criminal tax cases, among others. Camille served in the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia, where she served as an assistant United States attorney in both the cyber crime and the fraud and public corruption sections. We are delighted to have Tony and Camille share their expertise. Today, we will discuss Van Buren versus United States, in which the court limited the application of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, or CFAA, the federal anti-hacking statute, to exclude defendants who access information that they are otherwise authorized to access, but do so for an improper purpose. We will also discuss Facebook v. DeGoyd, which narrowed the meaning of automatic telephone dialing system, or auto dialer, in the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, or TCPA, significantly reducing the scope of conduct that is prohibited by that act. So let's start with the court's June 3rd decision in Van Buren versus United States. In 2015, an FBI sting operation targeted Georgia Police Sergeant Nathan Van Buren after an individual complained that Van Buren had tried to shake him down by soliciting a loan. As part of the sting, the complainant, at the FBI's instruction, offered to pay Van Buren to run the license plate number of the complainant's female acquaintance in a Georgia law enforcement database to confirm whether she was an undercover officer. Van Buren did so, and then was charged and convicted at trial of, among other things, violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which makes it a criminal offense for any individual to, quote, intentionally access a computer without authorization or exceed authorized access. Van Buren then appealed that conviction on the basis that his conduct did not violate the statute. Tony, could you give us a little more detail about Van Buren's arguments on appeal? Of course, Judd. Van Buren claimed that he had not violated the CFAA's provision that applies when someone exceeds authorized access because he actually was authorized to access that law enforcement database, even if he accessed it for an improper purpose. The 11th Circuit disagreed, relying on its precedent to uphold Van Buren's conviction. Van Buren then sought review by the Supreme Court. In support of the 11th Circuit decision upholding Van Buren's conviction, the government argued to the court that because Van Buren was only allowed to use the law enforcement database for valid law enforcement purposes, he had violated the CFAA by exceeding his authorized access to that database by using it to identify an undercover officer in exchange for money. The government's interpretation of the CFAA, that the CFAA prohibits accessing information from a computer for an improper purpose, 
even if an individual is authorized to access that computer, had been adopted by several federal courts of appeal, including the 1st, 5th, 7th, and, as already discussed, the 11th Circuit, though it had been rejected by the 2nd, 4th, and 9th Circuits. But the Supreme Court rejected the government's view, reversing the 11th Circuit and overturning Van Buren's conviction. It held that the CFAA does not criminalize individuals who have improper motives for accessing information that is otherwise available to them. What conduct, then, would qualify as a violation of the exceeds authorized access prong of the CFAA? The court held that an individual exceeds authorized access, quote, when he accesses a computer with authorization, but then obtains information located in particular areas of the computer that are off limits to him. In other words, if you're authorized to access a particular area of a computer for any reason, you cannot violate the CFAA by accessing that area, even if you may have an improper reason for doing so. To demonstrate a violation of the CFAA here, the government would have to show that Van Buren had no authority whatsoever to access the law enforcement database for any reason. And here, the government could not make that showing. Thank you for that, Tony and Camille. The Van Buren decision has been closely watched not only by prosecutors and law enforcement, but also by employers. Why was this decision of interest for both of these groups? The CFAA, which provides for both civil and criminal liability, was viewed as a potentially simpler enforcement mechanism than other options available to prosecutors and to employers. Though conduct like Van Buren's taking or misusing information to which an employee may have access could violate other statutes, violations of the CFAA, at least in some circuits in the past, had been easier to establish. For example, while an employer could pursue a theft of trade secrets case against an employee who misused access to a company database to steal proprietary information, Doing so would require that the employer establish that the information qualified as a trade secret. Elements like that can be more difficult to prove than simply showing that the employee violated the employer's policies by accessing information without an appropriate justification for doing so. That all makes sense, Tony. And I thought it was noteworthy that the court specifically cited the fact that the government's reading would effectively criminalize all sorts of everyday workplace activity as supporting the court's narrower reading of the statute. Camille, after this ruling, what do you think employers can do to police misuse of information stored on company systems? Thanks, Chad. At the outset, employers may still be able to file civil actions under the CFAA in certain situations. A traditional hack by an outsider who has no authorization to access the company's computer systems still constitutes a violation of the CFAA. Similarly, an employee who is authorized to access certain areas of the company's system but barred from accessing information in other areas for any purpose may violate the CFAA if he or she accesses information in those restricted areas. In other words, the CFAA still covers internal hacking. Are there specific steps employers can take to increase the likelihood that they will have recourse under the CFAA if the security of their sensitive information is impacted? In light of the Van Buren decision, employers should consider reviewing their systems and policies, in particular with a focus on what information employees are allowed to access 
and when appropriate, implementing technical barriers or controls that are designed to limit access when not necessary for an employee's job. Because the Van Buren case does not permit an employer to prove that an employee exceeded authorized access by pointing to that employee's motive, employers can look for ways to demonstrate that the employee had no authority to access certain sensitive information. Turning from Van Buren, in Facebook v. DeGuid, the Supreme Court similarly narrowed another highly litigated statute, the Telecommunications Consumer Protection Act, or TCPA. Judd, can you tell us a little more about that case? Sure. So the Facebook decision considered the scope of conduct that violates the TCPA's prohibition on calls made through an automatic telephone dialing system or, quote, auto dialer. Specifically, the case focused on interpreting the TCPA's definition of autodialer. And the key issue here, one on which federal circuit courts have long disagreed, is whether a device can be an autodialer under the TCPA if it has the capacity to store and automatically dial numbers, but does not utilize a random or sequential number generator to do so. The plaintiff in Facebook, Noah Duguid, brought this action after receiving numerous automatic text messages from Facebook without his prior express consent. Facebook sent him several text messages over approximately 10 months, alerting him that someone was attempting to access his Facebook account, despite the fact that he did not have a Facebook account. He claimed that Facebook had used an improper autodialer in violation of the act by doing so. Thanks very much for that, Judd. Camille, how did the Supreme Court rule on this definitional issue? Thanks, Juliet. The Supreme Court unanimously held that to qualify as an autodialer, quote, a device must have the capacity either to store a telephone number using a random or sequential generator or to produce a telephone number using a random or sequential number generator. The court relied on a textual analysis of the autodialer definition to conclude that the clause, quote, using a random or sequential number generator modifies both verbs that preceded, store and produce. Because in Duguid's case, Facebook's underlying equipment neither stored nor produced numbers that are randomly or sequentially generated, the court determined that the equipment did not fall under the statute. So this was obviously a narrower interpretation than Duguid and several amici were advocating, and they argued that this narrow interpretation would harm consumers by failing to cover many mass dialing systems that result in unwanted automated communications. Tony, did the Supreme Court say anything to address those concerns? The court rejected Duguid's argument, echoed by several amicus briefs, that the TCPA should be interpreted in a manner consistent with broad privacy protection goals. Instead, the court analyzed the autodialer definition based on the specific issue Congress intended to curb at the time the TCPA was enacted in 1991, namely the use of random or sequential generator technology. In the court's words, the TCPA's restrictions target a unique type of telemarketing equipment, and choosing to read the autodialer definition more broadly, quote, would take a chainsaw to these nuanced problems when Congress meant to use a scalpel. In the court's view, Congress, rather than the judiciary, would be the appropriate body to implement a more sweeping version of the TCPA. And has there been any congressional response to the Facebook opinion? Uh, yes, there has, Julia. Within hours of the court's release of the Facebook decision on April 1st, 
several members of Congress have issued statements condemning the court's interpretation of the TCPA. Senator Markey, an initial author of the TCPA, and Representative Eshoo claimed that the Supreme Court had ignored the clear legislative history of the act and reached a decision that is damaging for all mobile phone users. Markey and Eshoo vowed to introduce legislation that would, in their view, quote, make right what the Supreme Court got wrong and protect the public from a nonstop wave of unwanted calls and texts. In addition, many consumer advocacy groups have chimed in to criticize the Supreme Court's decision in this case. So one thing I noticed, much of the discussion around the TCPA focuses on robocalls, but do Good's allegations against Facebook stem from unwanted text messages? I'm not even sure text messages existed in 1991. Did the court weigh in on whether the TCPA actually does extend to text messages? The court didn't squarely address whether the TCPA covers text messages likely because neither party disputed that the TCPA covers automatically generated text messages that a recipient does not consent to receive. However, the court focused its interpretation of the TCPA through the lens of the specific technology contemplated by the 1991 statute. And as you rightly point out, robotext messages did not exist at the time the statute was adopted. But it appears this is still an open question after Facebook. The Facebook decision significantly narrows the scope of the auto-dialer definition. What are the implications of this decision for how companies like Facebook approach automatic communications in the future? The TCPA, as it currently stands, will not require a company to comply with restrictions placed on auto-dialers if the company's equipment does not randomly or sequentially generate the phone numbers that it dials. This means the TCPA's auto-dialer prohibition likely will not apply to scenarios in which a company collects customers' information in a database and then issues communications to those customers, as Facebook did here. The Facebook decision may provide some companies with the clarity that they have long requested as to whether their services constitute auto-dialers and therefore require that those companies obtain and solicit express consent from their customers. So while Facebook narrows the definition of auto-dialer, it still leaves in place other provisions of the TCPA, right? Yes, it does. So, for example, the statutory requirement that companies must solicit prior express consent before placing pre-recorded calls to customers remains in force. The decision also clearly does not impact the scope of any state or federal laws intended to curb robocalls or other similar automatic communications. In light of other provisions of the TCPA and related statutes, how should companies proceed post-Facebook? Well, as Tony said, the Facebook decision clearly does not provide companies with carte blanche to issue automatic communications to consumers without their consent. So companies should continue to assess the manner in which they call and text their customers to determine whether they are in compliance with all applicable statutes and continue to monitor legislative developments in the aftermath of the Facebook decision. As we already noted, we expect some action in that space. Soliciting appropriate consent from consumers prior to calling or texting them can be crucial to avoiding or reducing the likelihood of unnecessary and burdensome litigation. Companies also should take particular care before they are adopting new auto-dialing equipment. Thanks very much, Tony and Camille. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening to our Supreme Court Business Review podcast series. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com.
You can also find additional information on the Van Buren case in our recent memo dated June 4th, 2021, which is also available on our website. Thank you again. Thank you.